I'm just going to share something that God put on my heart this morning, and then I'll get to this teaching. I was going to title it Christian Casualties. And you're like, oh, I don't want to be here. That doesn't sound good. But see, then I can go, principles that sustain power. And you go, oh, that sounds better. And see, sometimes it is just a matter of perspective. Whether you become a casualty or you stay in power till the end of your days. So many years ago, we were in a period of sustained prayer in our church. And it, you could just feel we were at a high mark. We were at a high water mark. And we, we had this thing called Saturation Week, and we just prayed every night. We came together, and we prayed, and we felt we were, like, about to fall over into revival. We just felt it, we, we were at a tipping point. And Janine had a dream, and she came to us, and she said, in this dream, I can see, like, a vehicle traveling, and she interpreted it for me because I'm not a dream interpreter. And she said, you know, I see this vehicle. Vehicle means ministry, and I see it traveling, but the higher it gets to the top of this mountain, I see snakes coming and predators. Do you even remember this? I have it written down. And she said, and I see people jumping out of the vehicle. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. Nobody leaves when it's the most exciting ever. And Easy and I went away for a weekend at the Marriott in the Woodlands. That was like our little form of a mini vacation. And while we were there on a Friday afternoon, Alan called and he goes, I don't know what's going on, but I've just gotten a resignation from five different people in our ministry, people that have been here a long time, some who haven't been here long, and I don't know what's going on. I go, we, we told the Marriott, we're leaving, we came back home, and, and we walked into things where we started talking to people, and, and nothing was making sense. People were like a wall, a brick wall in front of them. I tried to talk logic. It didn't work. Uh, a special speaker came on that Sunday, and he goes, you've just been hit by a Jezebel spirit. He knew nothing about it. The young lady that was sort of central to that situation came to me 10 years later. And she said, I had a dream the other night, and God said I needed to make something right with somebody, and I want to come to you and apologize. She goes, I cannot even remember what I did back 10 years ago. When I think about it, I can remember you trying to talk to me at Cammie's living room, and it's like I kept thinking, run out, run out. Voices were in my head, and I wanted to leave. And she goes, and I, I can't even remember what it was about anymore. And I'm thinking, wow. The enemy was able to use these hurt, wounded areas in you. You hardly even knew what you were being used to do. And it is though a move of God got stopped. Now, God said things come around a second time. See, maybe it got delayed. It got, we thought the end. God says to be continued. You know, and so in the meantime, we've seen healing and we've seen miracles, but we have not had that sustained move of God that continues and that's what we're believing for. See, we're not contending for less. We're not like, okay, we've been waiting. It hadn't happened. We're going to settle. Oh, no, you don't know us. You know, we got a word about 15 years ago. Don't think you're too old because we each had a thought. We're getting a little old for this, you know. Easy was like 70-something, uh, and, and, and I was like in my 50s somewhere, and we're like, you know, we've been doing this. We're getting a little too, and we got a word then. You're, you're, you're not too old. And, you know, 15 years later, guess what? We are not too old. The other day I said something to Easy. I, I said, you know, it's our 43rd wedding anniversary. And he goes, but I just feel like I'm 43. He goes, I really don't feel any older than that. And see, it's about your perspective. So I can talk on Christian casualties or I can talk about principles that sustain power. It's the same sermon, but it's about your perspective and what I call it and how I see it. And so the truth is, it is hard to stay balanced in this crazy, unbalanced world. If ever the world needed Jesus, it's now. In 2004, I went to a seminar in which a statistic was quoted. Some of you have heard this. I preach a version of this sermon every five years. 
Because we need to hear these principles over and over. You know, stand up straight, eat your vegetables, drink enough water. You hear it once in your life, you're not doing it. (laughs) And then you get into a habit of it, but then you get out of the right habit. And somebody has to tell you again. So about every five years, I preach a version of this message. So I went to this seminar, and a statistic was quoted that out of every 40 people who entered ministry in their 20s, only one retired as a minister. That same seminar made mention of the fact that even in the Bible, when it recounts the lives of leaders, 500 leaders are mentioned. A hundred leaders we know more detail. Only a small portion of those leaders finished, and only 13 finished well. Woo! Christian casualties. Principles to sustain power over a lifetime. The test of time. A recent Barna survey, you know, they're the people that survey and tell us all the numbers and, and, you know, I don't know how they arrive at them, but they're very trusted. Maybe they're off of percentage point here or there, but they're not like the election polls. But anyway, the the Barna survey found that 75% of Christian young people fall away from the faith and leave church after high school. Woo, not good. Not good because just going to pizza parties and, you know, having a little prayer at the end is not sustaining them when they get into these intellectual professors that are teaching every kind of Gnostic intellectual philosophy and they don't have anything to stand on except their piece of pizza they ate and a nice prayer they said amen to. And so we've got to give them something to hold on to. There's got to be more substance. We've got to give them some principles that they have power in their life. They are looking for power. And so the truth is, once you become born again, once you come to the Lord, there is a concentrated effort with strategy and purpose by the devil to get you off course, to tarnish your testimony, to wage war on your witness, and to mess with your mind. I'm an optimist. If I weren't an optimist, I don't think I could have lasted as a pastor. (laughs) I believe that cynical, rebellious people can become intercessors and great men and women of God. I believe that timid people that hardly won't talk can become powerful prophetic pastors. Okay, I believe that promiscuous partiers can become (laughs) celibate intercessors used of God to go to the mission field. See, I believe that people can become what they're not. See, I believe it. But I've also seen people become what they're not because God says you are this and they become something else entirely. And God has called them to be that. And somehow they became something else entirely and they became one of the Christian casualties. If we receive the Lord, you know, got born again and died soon after, we would probably be still in that honeymoon phase, you know, where everything's great and, and we're just full of the joy of the Lord and, and we would have a great testimony and they would speak well of us. <laughs> but the trick is having a testimony that stands the test of time. <laughs> See, that's different. <laughs> I didn't die two months after I got born again. I'm still here 45 years later. So how have I held on and not become a Christian casualty and held on to principles that bring me power for 45 years. Is it because my life has been all hunky-dory? Nothing bad happened, so I'm okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> See, it's not about what happens to you. It's about how you respond in the midst of it. It's about the principles you hold on to while it's going on. I had an illness for two years they couldn't diagnose. We still held on to God. We would pray with people. They would get healed, but I was sick. I couldn't even get out of bed. 
Easy was diagnosed with stage three, very aggressive gastric cancer. We still held on to God. People in ministry that we loved hated us, stole all of our money. We still held on to God. See, you've got to get to a point where it's not about what happens to you. It's about that you've decided you're going to hold on to certain principles. You're not going to become a Christian casualty, and it will pull you through. You keep your gaze on Jesus. See, you keep looking into his eyes because that brings you light and power and warmth. And so many people start off right. I read a support, a Christian support group thing. Somebody was starting on Facebook and they said, we started out, you know, I'm writing to all you people who were involved in blah, blah, blah ministry. And, you know, I know we were all on fire and it sounded like they had a lot of young people there. And he goes, we started out right, and, but it sort of ended up a cult. And I know a lot of you became hurt. And I'm like, whoa. Whoa, because see, the truth is a lot of people start off right with right motives and pure hearts and good works, but they veer off in deception. Many of the men of faith that you read about, generals of the faith, they ended in weird deception because there was no accountability. We believe in fivefold ministry here. We believe in pure accountability. Our preachers are accountable to the pastoral staff. The pastoral staff is accountable to each other. We're not doing our own thing. And we are connected with other leaders in the body of Christ at large in Houston who are well thought of and respected. And if they saw that we were doing something weird, they'd be calling us. And guess what? We call them. See, there's accountability in the body of Christ. They veered off into deception, into doctrinal error. You can have everything right, and in this one area, you, you start veering off over here, and you can lead a lot of people astray. Into love of money. I know some ministries that said revival was continuing at their church because the offerings were so good from TV. And they filmed it in a way that it looked like revival was still happening, so the offerings would still keep coming in. That guy is a mess right now. Love of money. Sexual sin. Promiscuity. Failure to deal with inner issues that God is putting his finger on. Woo! You can be prophesied to all day long. God means what he says. He's not a liar. He's not a man that he would lie. But if there are inner issues that he begins to put his finger on that you don't deal with, they will be the hindrance from that thing being fulfilled. And you will go, I don't know. He didn't do it. He said it didn't do it. I guess God never meant it. No, 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 no. You're forgetting about the 15 times God said, you need to deal with this. I'm trying to get this out of you. I'm trying to help you here. I'm trying to help your thinking here. And see, if you didn't do it, that very lack of thinking right, that very issue, that very hurt, that very wound keeps you from getting to the place that God knows you can. But there's a few prerequisites. See, there's some prerequisites sometime. And so, Number six, distractions. Some people, you're good-hearted, just other things distract you. You know, you start doing this, and you, you get a boat, and you get a second house at the beach, and you're busy taking care of that, and so you can't go here. And then you quit going to church because, you know, you're so busy with the second house and the boat and the, and the, you know, and the, the extra vacation because, God, you know, God bless you with finances. But now you're using those finances to do all these things, and you're, you've forgotten him. Distractions and discouragement. Gosh, I heard that testimony at church, and Easy got healed, but, you know, my, my dad, you know, he, he died. And so you can start to, somebody's testimony becomes your discouragement. And you start to get your frame and, 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 and feeling about God from what didn't happen because of your perspective. And God still loves you, and yes, we go through trials, and we live in a fallen world, and this ain't heaven. 
Now, sometimes heaven breaks through to earth and we get a piece of heaven. But see, we don't even know what goes on in the minds and hearts of people. And sometimes people are able to receive and there's like a shoot and they're able to, to get it right from God. And sometimes it's just harder for them to plug into that place, even though God loves us all. And God's will is always healing. So sometimes by the time 20 or 25 years has passed, since we didn't die like a month after we got saved, the testimony of the first 10 years is overshadowed by the tarnish of the last 10. And so we can think of people that this has happened to, but let's think about us because it's harder to think about us. And if we think of our best season, our most intimate time, our, our time of the highest faith and the most anointing and the most fruit, and you're like, where did that go? Now, let me be clear. I don't mean circumstances. I was telling somebody recently, I said, there was a time when I was ill for a couple of years, and I'd been teaching Bible studies and ministering and speaking at conference, and, and all I could do is lay in bed and hope I could get up. And so I felt like, God, I'm never going to get back to that. <laughs> well, see, that's not true. That, I, I mean about your connection with God. You can be in a dire circumstance, but you have not changed your heart toward God. See, something can happen to you, and yet you do not change your heart toward God. See, when we went through a devastating thing, God gave a word to us, and he goes, don't let it change you. See, don't let it change your heart for me. Don't let it change your desire to obey me. Don't let that hard, horrible thing that I didn't desire change you. And because it didn't change us, we're still standing. We didn't become a casualty like we could have, or we didn't cut short our destiny like we could have. And so I've known believers who quit believing. I've watched softened, tender hearts become hard. I've seen people full of God who seem later like they barely know him. And see, those are Christian casualties. The truth is we need power. Power is not some extreme. It's not something that, you know, we're loud, so we're powerful. Power is the balance between fanaticism and passivity. It takes power to live the Christian life. It is a prerequisite for biblical Christianity. Just like balance, it's, it's not a weak word. If you're balanced, you're not compromising. If you're balanced, it's not like, oh, you, you know, you're double-minded. You're halting between two opinions. A person with balance can walk a log in a lake, and it takes a lot of strength to keep them from rolling over into the lake or the, or the thing from, from spinning. See, it takes a certain amount of power to be able to stay balanced in the things of the Christian walk without falling into one ditch or another, without falling off into the, the lake of the enemy. It takes a lot of control. Balance is also the ability to look at a situation in which several principles are true and knowing which principle takes precedence. A lot of things are true at the exact same time, but what's God putting his finger on? What's God saying right now? What's God saying, do this? See, and it's like we're real quick to go, I want to do this. It's true. Oh, it's true. But the Holy Spirit's not breathing on it right now. And so you're going, that's what I want to do. It's true. It's true. But there's not a rhema command to go there. We must be able to embrace discipline and correction as faithfully as we embrace blessing. I'm going to start closing with 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 23. I'm going to read out of the New Living. Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you, and they warn you against all that is wrong. Sometimes when you warn people, they get mad at you because they think you're against them. But see, that's where you must embrace discipline or correction as much as you embrace when they go, you did a great job, that's awesome. It's when they go, this doesn't look good, I think it's going to trip you up. 
Next scripture. Think highly of them and give them your wholehearted love because of their work. And remember to live peaceably with one another. Live peaceably with one another. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. So this is inferring everyone who's not like you. See, you, you tend to be, you're fine with the people who are strong if you're strong because they're like you. But you don't like the people who seem weak. You don't mind the people that are loud because if you like loudness, they're like you. But if they're timid, you, you become impatient. And so be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to everyone else. Always be joyful. Even when things aren't going well. <laughs> Gosh, even when I don't have my answer to my prayer yet. Give thanks in all things, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. Not for all things, in all things. See, because then that joy that rises up in you with that attitude of gratitude might be the very strength that gets you through the trial when you're out on the other side. Or else you get stuck in the mud and you can't move forward. Always be joyful. Keep on praying. This is new living. It's very simple. No matter what happens, always be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. A lot of churches don't want the Holy Spirit. He makes the service too messy. You can't predict what's going to happen next. You can't know the minute the next song is supposed to start. You can't know the minute you're going to dismiss. The Holy Spirit can mess things up and let God out of the box. And, oh, God forbid that God should do something we're not in charge of. But, see, God wants to be in charge. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. You know that girl that gets up all the time and says that stuff to people? Do you think that's even right? Do you think there's anything to that? Do you think she even knows what she, did she talk to them before then? Does she know them? Okay, do you notice that most of the people Jen prophesies to are visitors and she's never met them? Do you know that we talk to most of them and they say, yes, something resonated in that? A few people have said she read my mail, it was right on. A few people said, I'm not sure, but then later it became to mean something. Jen didn't come into this church wanting to take the mic. <laughs> She was probably the one who didn't want to take the mic. Not at all. Not at all. One day, you're going to tell your story. And so one time I was at Janine's house. We were just praying, and I felt like Jen had a word. She goes, I go, do you have some? She goes, just one word. I go, just give that one word. <laughs> but that one word was what God was settling on. And so sometimes the, I, <laughs> I was telling somebody when I was teaching on a ministry class at a conference recently, I said, you know, it's funny. Some people just want to do it, want to do it, and I got to pull them back. And some people don't want to do it, don't want to do it, and I got to push them forward. I go, I don't know why we can't seem to just do what God wants. But you have leaders to help. Do not scoff at prophecies, but yet test everything that's said. Hold on to what's good. Keep away from every kind of evil. Now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until that day, see, until that day when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again into Scripture, until that day. See, it can go on for a long time, and yet you need to be able to stand and not be a casualty and hold on to your power and stay balanced and not get off into deception or error or, or doctrinal or promiscuous or sexual sin or love of money or, or, or discouragement or distraction. And so until that day, quickly, I'm going to give you seven things 
that you need to do. Seven things. Number one, believe the word. Proverbs 4, 20 to 22. The word of God must be our number one priority, our foundation in life. More than our feelings, more than our preferences, more than our friends, be loyal to the word. In the Bible, the prophetic words God has spoken over you that you know have truth, be loyal to the word. I'm not going to teach on these like I was. Number two, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. In all seasons of life, good, bad, hard, easy, prayer is communicating with God. Gazing into his eyes, like Ashley said. Prayer is communicating. Don't stop praying. My answer didn't come. Don't stop praying. Praying isn't just always asking for stuff. It's not just saying, oh, God, you're my sugar daddy. Here's my list. It's communing with him. And as you commune with him, you become more like him. And as you become more like him, then things open up before you. Number three, persevere in tough times. This is a prerequisite. Persevering in tough times is not just for a few strong Marines. It's for all of us. Yes, we are his sheep of his pasture, but we are also soldiers in God's army. And so sometimes we got to put on combat boots and get through it. And so Psalms 91 says, I will be with him in trouble, God says. That means you're going to have some trouble. (laughs) But God says he'll be with you. Don't give up. Don't get weary in well-doing. Don't get mad when you don't get your way. The mad at God syndrome, I don't have a lot of patience with. (laughs) As though God's our servant, he better do it. He didn't do it yet. I'm mad at him. You're a fool. Okay. (laughs) Like, what, what more can I say? Like, I'll be nice when you talk to me, and I'll try to help you get to that conclusion yourself. But right now, since I'm down to like 40 seconds, I'll just say that. Um, Number four, get God's vision. Get God's vision. It is not up to us to decide what we want to do. We got prophesied to when Easy was in his 70s that another wave of young people was going to come. And he got depressed. And, 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 and he was like, oh, my God, I've been doing this for years. You know, like, I, I started doing this at 60 years old. We sold our house. I, I was wanting to go hunting and fishing, like, with all my friends. And I'm always busy with these kids doing outreaches and stuff. And or, or some, one of us having a problem. And, and I looked at him, and I said, look, the man I married said yes to God on everything. And I expect that of you right now. So get your attitude right by morning. And he did. <laughs> and he woke up, and he goes, I repented to God. I'm fine now. And you know what? If we would have gotten our attitude right and, and, and been willing to get God's vision and, and he'd have been hunting and fishing probably dead or something. You know what I mean? Like, see, get God's vision for your life. It is not up to us to decide what we want to do. It's not up to our parents. It's not up to our friends. It's not up to anybody else. But it is up to us to discern what it is God has said we are supposed to do. Acts 26, 19, Paul tells Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. See, you might have a vision, but then there's a heavenly vision. And you need to decide to be obedient. Number five, always forgive. Unforgiveness is a lot of weight to carry around. And it's heavy. And it will weigh you down. It will sap your strength. It will make you tired. Always forgive. What if they're, what if they're not sorry? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're sorry or not. The Bible says we are to forgive. See, they can be totally not sorry, but we forgive. Does forgive mean we just put up with their stuff and let them keep doing it to us? No. But it means we release them from the judgment in our heart. Okay, it, it doesn't mean they don't suffer consequences. It doesn't mean we don't set boundaries. Uh, but don't hold a grudge. Don't hold on to an offense. If you do, you lose. Number six, seek God's favor. You will need favor. You will need favor. Walking in favor is better than being talented. It can get you further than being smart. 
walking in favor, supernatural favor. Number seven, keep right relationships. Woo, this one is important. Picture a person who is maintaining their walk with the Lord. They're doing okay. They're holding steady. Then just picture them on that tightrope, you know, that tightrope of life. But they're, they're walking along, and they've got it. They've got things under control. God's with them. He's holding their hand. Now picture they let two people get onto that tightrope with them who are unsteady, unstable, and a mess. Pretty soon, all three tumble. Now, maybe if you're on solid ground, you can reach uh, one of them and help them up. But see, you've got to know how strong you are before you get around people who aren't too strong. And so you've got to be able to pull them up. And if they're changing you instead of you changing them, something's wrong with this equation. And so you need to always keep right relationships. Watch who you hang out with. Watch who you share your dreams with. Stay away from the naysayers. Even your best friends aren't going to see the vision of God for your life, and they will try to talk you out of it. Relationships can make you or break you. When you listen to the wrong voices, you will end up making the wrong choices. There is a tendency in people... Will you give me like two more minutes to adapt and adopt the ways of the people that they're hanging around with? This works for good or bad. See, if, if you're here for any length of time, you will be more prophetic, more bold, more strong in the Lord, more sensitive to the anointing. I can guarantee it because the people you're around will affect you. But if you go somewhere that you shouldn't be going and you hang around these people who have all these issues in their life or just are negative or have an axe to grind against the church, you know what, pretty soon you'll have a little knife about the church. You might not have the whole axe, but you'll have something because something of theirs will get in you. John Maxwell has a book on teamwork. One of the chapters is called The Law of the Bad Apple. <laughs> the Law of the Bad Apple. He says in it that attitudes are contagious. Talent, unfortunately, is not contagious. You can sit by court and, and you won't be able to play cello. You can sit next to Julia and you won't sing like her. Talent is not contagious. Okay, experience is not contagious. You can be around me all day, but you do not have the experience that I've had in ministry. Now, I can teach you some of it and I can disciple you and you can glean from that, but you don't have my same experience. Willingness to, to practice on a team is not contagious. Like, I want to go improve my skills. Well, it doesn't prevent the lazy person from laying there, okay? But attitudes are contagious. Good attitudes are contagious. And the only thing more contagious than a good attitude is a bad attitude. One baseball manager never allowed his positive players to room with the negative ones on the road. He put the negative ones together so they couldn't poison everyone else who wanted to play the game right. So again, I repeat, Keep right relationships, seven basics. Believe the word, pray without ceasing, persevere in tough times, get God's vision, always forgive, seek God's favor, and keep right relationships. And if you do these things consistently, closing with Psalm 92:12, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. The palm bears its best fruit in old age. The fruit is sweetest easy when it is 80 years old. <laughs> The palm tree fruit is sweetest when it's 80 years old. So you've had eight years above 80 of that sweet fruit. When an apple gets old, an apple tree gets old, the apples get smaller and smaller, and finally they're useless. But not so with the palm. The older it gets, the better and sweeter it can become. Our testimony can stand the test of time, just like the palm tree, if we do the things that God has said. Stand to your feet with me. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your principles. 
We want to be in on everything you're doing. We don't want to be left behind. We don't want to be on the sidelines. We don't want to be a Christian casualty, but we want to have power in us that can stand the test of time. Father, I just thank you for what you're about to do. I thank you that we're all in on it. Everybody plays a part. God, every man is important. No man will be left behind. And so, Father, I just thank you that right now we just say yes to you. We gaze into your eyes, oh God, and we receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen.